0: This was about as bizarre and as easy
1: as it gets.
0: So the number for me was a number that would allow me to
1: never have to work. I feel like we got top, top, top.
0: I went from a sale of, you
1: know, $500,000 to in debt. $192 million. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host, John Warlow. Hey, this episode of Built to Sell Radio is brought to you by the Value Builder System. I had the opportunity to interview Stephanie Breedlove the other day. She sold her $9 million payroll company for a cool $54 million. How does she do it? She focused on the eight things that drive company value, things like what we call the Switzerland structure, monopoly control, recurring revenue, all things you're going to evaluate in your own business using the Value Builder Score. It takes about 15 minutes to complete the survey, Go to valuebuilder.com. I think you're gonna like this interview with John Reed. He started a company called Keat, which built a software application to help patients kind of keep tabs on what kind of therapies they should be doing as that were prescribed to them by their therapist or their doctor. Over a two-year period, he went from startup to exit. And lots of lessons here from John. I asked him about the the, the kind of decision making he went through, and whether or not to be build a lifestyle business or to take on investors and sort of scale up. And I liked the way he thought that process through. Have a listen for that. He talks about the use of convertible debt and how that can be a great way to start a business. So he gives a bit of a description, a definition, and some of the benefits of using convertible debt when you begin. And It's a great way to value a business when you're not sure what the value of the company should be. It's a great way to raise money without having to go through all that process of of formal valuation. So listen for his uh, his explanation of convertible debt. He talks about the biggest mistake he made in, in going out and raising money so some interesting nuggets there. He talks about how much he paid himself and why paying himself the minimum gave him gave him some cash and some flexibility which he went on to benefit from. Listen out for his definitions of partnerships. There's a partnership an exclusive partnership and an acquisition. And I think when it comes to who's likely to buy your business, you're gonna first wanna look at who are you already partnered with? And that was one of the things that Jonathan did really, really well. And at the end of the interview, he's gonna give you the six or 12 sort of sentences in a letter of intent and a share purchase agreement that could trip you up. They're called reps and warranties, and he'll give a bit of a description of that. Here to tell you the rest of the story is John Reed. John Reed. Welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Hey, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, so tell me about this company. Keith, you guys started out in 2015. What was the idea you were working with?
0: Sure. I mean, at the underlying, the underlying premise has really been how do we empower and support patients to reach their personal goals? And then how do we alleviate administrative burden for providers so they could build better relationships with their patients? And it really started from my personal experiences as a patient and my co founder David Self's experiences as a provider.
1: Great. So, what were the experiences? You're a patient. We all have, most of us have like an annual physical. Like, so, what were your experiences that triggered you to start this company? Um, mine was a little different than an
0: annual physical. I had gotten into a motorcycle crash and I turned my collarbone into six, six itty bitty pieces um, and that, that needed to get screwed back together to grow appropriately. Uh, and, and at the time I had, you know, my surgeon was actually a good friend of mine. Um, and, you know, he felt, Hey, John, this is going to be no problem. Really easy to do for him. It certainly was, uh, for me, it was, uh, it was surprising. You know, when I woke up from the surgery, it was a, a fairly shocking experience. Um, and then going into, uh, rehab at the time I was doing a lot of work globally for uh, another application that we were building which was surrounding uh, sports training and video analysis and really how do you help athletes train with their coaches when they're not face-to-face and so this one had taken me all all around the world and at the time while I was doing my rehab I had to fly to from North Carolina to Barcelona, Barcelona to London, London to San Francisco I wasn't going to be there for about a, a month uh, so I would be back actually physically where the rehab center was. So uh, my experience was one where the home exercise program and, and me being self-directed was really important, um, which, you know, my physical therapist reminded me that's really not how this how this normally works. But given your situation, you're going to really have to be adherent to this home exercise program. And he gave me what was essentially a stack of papers. Right. it was some education pieces, a bunch of stick figure drawings with some notes on them. And he's like, you know, make sure you do this twice a day. And immediately upon getting those, my reaction was, oh, man, I'm I'm in trouble. Um, and I was. <laughs> I, I didn't really have great success doing those off the paper. And I recognized pretty quickly, hey, I, a lot of this responsibility is mine. If, if I don't do these things, I'm not going to, you know, m- my shoulder is not going to be the same. And I don't want that. So. I originally hacked together something for myself that uh would remind me when to do my exercises, it kind of walked me through it could send me a text message, I'd click a link, it'd walk me through those exercises, I'd check them off, and at the end of the week, uh it would send a message to that therapist as well as my mother um to say <laughs> to say how what I if I did my stuff or not. And it really helped me. You know, that 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 was a transformative experience for me. So it really stemmed from Seeing a bunch of paper uh, and just not really being able to believe that that's, that that's the mechanism that you're supposed to, um, you know, drive a major part of your healing and recovery in these types of scenarios.
1: You know, it's funny you should mention this because I do some running and I had a chiropractor once, a chiropractor, and I pulled a like a, a calf muscle. And she's like, here, like, do all these exercises. And literally, she gave me a stack of papers. And I thought, that's it. And uh, so I've, I've actually lived this in a very kind of minor way relative to your nasty experience. Uh, so it was kind of an aha moment for you, it sounds like. And so you start to build an application. I mean, you raised money for this business. Maybe talk a little bit about that decision. Yeah. I mean, really, this started out as
0: just a, something I had together to help myself. And I, I didn't really think so much of it. I liked you know, I liked what I was doing before building out apps for professional athletes and whatnot was a fun, was a fun business. Uh, but it wasn't until a friend of mine really, he was, he had, he had a spinal cord injury our, between our freshman and sophomore year of, of college. And he saw the application, uh, cause I had told him about what I had done. And when he took a look at it, he said, you know, John, this is not something I'd use for two or three months, but something I'd use for the next 20 or 30 years. Um, and that moment really surprised me and how impactful it was to him really shocked me. So he introduced me to the Kennedy Krieger Institute at Johns Hopkins Medical Center. Um, that's where he got his rehab. I showed this little prototype that I had to them and they they really felt that there was, um, some legs there. And at that moment, you know, something that I didn't put a whole lot of uh, credence behind as to you know the value of it. I just knew it was helpful to me and a few other people who I'd put on it. Now became something that I really saw an opportunity to to help both a community that I that I'm really interested in uh, and the broader community of, of folks and going through these types of experiences. So it was pretty clear once once that event happened that it was that, you know, it was <laughs> we were going to need a whole lot more than myself. To um, and a and a developer partner that I had to really uh, take this to that next level, and to be able to service you know this type of group. So the, you know the real clear path was we gotta we have to put some some cash into this business and and start building out a team.
1: What, why is that? I mean, why not kind of bootstrap it? Why not go from one you know physical therapy office to the next saying hey i've got this cool little app if you guys pay me a hundred bucks a month i'll give you access to it like why raise money and go through the dilution that that's involved sure good question i mean when we had done
0: that to a degree right that's originally when i looked at this i said huh, this could be a nice little lifestyle business you know build a build this little application go and sell it to physical therapists you know it, it it would be a good business to run in that format once we got in uh, this interest from a larger group that's when i said huh maybe there's something more here so my tactic which i actually don't think i would do again uh, but was good for me at the time was we did not take a tremendous amount of money up front we we go kind of the bare minimum and really did that throughout our funding methodology is to use convertible debt um, and really just how much money do we need to the next jump point, to the next proof point, and let's just put that much money at risk. So, you know, a, a couple of nice things could happen, right? If you start making more money, then you don't need to get more money in. You didn't put a lot of money at risk, and therefore you didn't put a lot of dilution into
1: play. The downside so a lot of, that, of uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, sorry John, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was, I was going to say a lot of people probably uh, would, be would benefit from a little bit of a refresher on convertible debt. So can you just define that?
0: Yeah, sure. A convertible convertible debt or a convertible note. Um, basically, what the, the purpose of it is you want to bring investors on, but you're having trouble or you don't want to go through the process of valuing the business. It's usually the case for early stage technology companies, right? Because you, you What you really want to do when you take on money is take on money and value the company as close to what it should be valued at that time for both your investors and for yourself. And the problem with early stage technology startups, particularly ones that are, you know, in this prototype stage, you really don't know what they're worth. And and so what a convertible note does is allow you to say, hey, you're going to give me this amount of money. It's essentially can be paid back as a loan. But if there's a convertible Event so I bring on more fundraising I sell the company uh, then those sh- or uh, you know it, it basically meets its term length you know usually these things are eighteen months um, then at that point the those people have put money in can convert into stockholders and there's you know that it's basically kicking that valuation down the curb and as a result they get the benefit of accruing interest as well as a usually a discount. Um on that valuation when they when they convert it.
1: so you use convertible debt to raise your first swath of money like how much debt did you did you have like was it hundreds of thousands millions yeah that was just that was really you know the first
0: round we we raised is pretty much uh you know two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, so not a lot of money um well depends on depends on what you're talking about right could could seem like a lot of money, but uh in the grand schemes, probably not. And we, we continued to leverage um, we continued to leverage these convertible notes. And because we had great relationships with our, with our note holders, because um, you know, we were making great progress, we would do something where we were just extending those notes uh, at, you know, increasing the total amount as well as the term length, which is, you know, we only were able to do because of our relationships with them. Had I done this, Had I been in a different position or if I was doing this again, I would have probably raised more money up front um, because I I really think it just allows you, particularly with these types of, you know, I'm talking health technology, you know, there's long sales cycles associated with this. There's a lot of data integration implementation work that, you know, there's a lot of effort that goes into something like this and having you know having more significant funds up front really allows you to i think build out um, a more serious team a more serious infrastructure and and kind of focus more a bit on a long term play which I think in this particular industry you know helps out a lot if I was doing something different I, I would actually absolutely follow what you were thinking of you know build more of a lifestyle business, get a good cash flow th- uh structure you know happening in then go to investors when, you know, there's real revenue in the business, uh, that, that for many other industries, I think is a great tactic, but for our industry, you know, that's uh, it's a, there's a, just a lot more involved in it. So I think.
1: So, that so if you were to work. do it over again, so if you were to do it over again, uh, you would actually do one significant equity raise. It sounds like what proportion of equity would you be prepared to, 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 to give up if you were doing your first round on, on, at a similar stage that, that Keith was at at the time?
0: Sure, yeah, I mean, it, to, be, to be clear with, with the way this worked, I, w- I wouldn't really change anything. It, that, that, that tactic for where I was in my career, where the, where the company was, worked out really well because it put a lot of, it made us prove things, really prove them out at each one of these milestones. Now, if I was to start another one of these, I would absolutely go and be looking to raise between one to two million dollars early on, and be and use use convertible notes again. I, I think that's just a, I think it just makes sense. It's, it's easier for everybody, uh, and I would probably expect to give away twenty to thirty percent of the company for that.
1: You know, so that at the point that, that, of at the point of raising your first significant round, yeah, where the which, valuation, it, it, yeah. there's really not, you know, the the
0: that's kind of just the number that I would have in my head, right? Because of with the convertible debt, it's not like I'm saying I'm giving away 20 to 30%, but you know, that's what, when people put in that kind of money, that's sort of what the expectation is. Um, and so my, my take is that the, the, I think when people hear about raising money, it always sounds like, Oh yeah, you should, you want the most. Um, and I would say, you want you want enough to really be able to prove out the concepts and the models appropriately. Um, the more you take on, you, you really, unless, you know, uh, at least for me, you know, that's real money of, of people that you know and have a relationship at stake. And so, you know, I, I wouldn't blindly take on a lot of money to take it on. But I think for problems, particularly in this field, you know, to have a million, two million dollars allows you to, to make some really smart infrastructure decisions and really smart team-oriented decisions that will go a long way when you're talking about a complicated in- industry like health technology.
1: I'm glad you raised the team because, because you, you put together a, a, a team at Day. De- How many staff did you have uh, at, the, at the sort of time of the acquisition?
0: We had 12 people working full time.
1: Got it. And, and did all 12 of those have some sort of equity participations, stock options or shares or something?
0: Yeah, that was that was important to me. Um, you know, a lot of. One of the tactics that I chose to to leverage and, and just something I believe in was I really paid myself kind of the minimum amount I could and still have a, you know, a comfortable life. And so what that allowed me to do was, and and really, I've we did this business not thinking that it was going to, um, you know, this wasn't our, this was a lot of it was, we think there's a really good market here. We think we can make good money doing this, but we also think that this is going to have a significant impact on the community and, and really the healthcare system. Um, so in, in not taking a lot of cash out of the business for myself, um, what I was able to do is bring on people who really wanted to make an impact and who were willing to do it for, you know, less than market salary rates because they believed in the vision, they believed in what we were building and why we were doing it. Um, And so it was important for me that if we had an event like, like we did, that all those people would participate in it because they really, you know, really without the team, you don't ever get to these stages. It's, it's, it's really a whole team effort. And so I think it's very important to, um, to put skin in the game for, for other folks and to make sure that everybody celebrates and when this, when an event like this happens, cause it's not, it's rare. And, and it's, it's really fun when everybody walks away with money in their pockets.
1: How did you manage that with at the same time, limiting people's expectations, uh, you know, not having somebody at your door every five minutes saying, "When are you gonna sell? When are you gonna sell?" Like I've heard from some other uh, owners who've gone through this process that that by making other shareholders, uh, y- you can create a problem for yourself because everybody wants to know what the stock's worth. Um, if you go to sell and it's somehow less than they thought, you, you know, you've got a bunch of disappointed people on your hands. How did you sort of manage those people and their expectations along the way?
0: A lot about it is just picking people up front, right? You know, we had the, we had the luxury of we're, we're, there was a lot of people here who really believed in making impact. So that, that's helpful. The other side of this is, you know, we've really positioned as we want to, we want to build a business that we would be comfortable and excited to work at for the next 10 to 20 years um, and build a culture and a group of people that we just enjoyed spending time with. Um, So we, we approached it in that methodology but when we when we did start getting the offers um to buy the company you know we really looked at how could how is this going to benefit everybody how is this going to be benefit our vision of creating impact and scaling this solution out so when we were discussing this with everybody on the team when we started getting the you know uh we had we had kind of several offers come in all at the same time um a lot of it was saying, Hey guys, we don't need to do this. We have, we have clear runway. We have a clear line of sight on building this business organically. And with the, you know, we only had four investors and our four investors were, were very pleased with our performance and had the capital to go and put more money into this. So that having that there in the background made all of these deals, you know, kind of, removed some of the pressure on them. And and I think the, the team really trusted that if we go down one of these paths, it's for a good reason. It's because we're, you know, it's not just because it's a dollar figure. It's because the, what our lives will look like afterwards, we think are better. The impact of the product we think will be greater. And we believe that it will improve some of these processes that as we, as we were shifting, we were shifting really into a sales and marketing mode. And and when you looked at our company prior to that, it was largely product development. We did some business development work, but, you know, it was large, you know, way more uh, hunting with spears than with nets. And so, you know, I think that everybody in these processes, while they were curious, you know, part of the, we're going to make the best decision for everybody long-term, and it's not just a monetary decision. It is going to be a what does our lives look like after this and what is the what is the impact the product makes after this and i think that that reduced a lot of that um you know people people knocking on my door asking me all the time although you know as it gets closer people people definitely want to know more and more specifics and more and more details It's, it's it's a tough process to manage for anyone as soon as you start going down the path of one of these things
1: so, let me understand the trigger because it sounded like and, and people should know you started keep back at the end of two thousand and fourteen, beginning mm-hmm. of two thousand and fifteen you sold at the end of two thousand and seventeen so this is this is a whirlwind this is this is twenty four months pedal to the metal uh business from start inception to sale so what was the the trigger that made you decide to sell? I mean did you get inbound interest or Was there some event that happened that made you think, okay, now's the time? Sure. I think it's there's a couple factors that went into play. One,
0: we had we had built out integrations with. So essentially, how our system works is it's an application that that automates the the delivery of education materials, communications, exercises, outcome measures, which are essentially forms to a patient. So all of that paperwork that you would normally get, that comes into a nice slick little application on your phone. The provider interface allows for you both to manually assign those items or automatically assign those. And those can be automatically assigned by by data that we receive from the medical record system. So for example, you know, if a patient schedules an appointment for a week out and it's their initial evaluation, we can automatically start sending emails to that patient or send them a welcome packet and have them start looking at their paperwork that they have to fill out when they get there. So from an, from the provider side, it it has an opportunity to save you to really have a great efficiency savings. So we had built these integrations out and the vendors that we had built the integrations out were essentially the folks who were interested in us because we had just built out this high fidelity consumer grade experience for the patients that had this automated delivery system for the provider that linked into their technology and basically could scale across their their base of customers so you
1: lost me a little bit there john because and, and maybe it's just because i'm naive and ignorant about the way yeah, no the medical system works so 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 i understand the i think i kind of can visualize the application that you built then you kind of lost me with the the providers in that space. What What do you mean by providers in that space? Ah, uh,
0: yeah. So you, you're going to have to stop me several times, you know, because I'm in uh, industry jargon mode, right? So this is this is really your physical therapist, the front desk staff, you know, your clinical manager. Those are the providers, and they buy okay. medical record systems to manage their their information on their payments and really the billing of the services that they perform.
1: And, and it's the first, me- medical record systems providers that were the folks that would be interested in buying you guys yeah, we so because we essentially link into those medical record system and every time their
0: data ah. is updated, we get the feed of that updated data so we leverage got it, got that it.
1: to to basically trigger the automation of delivery of content on these various medical events so it's and how many this, of these medical record system companies are there out there?
0: There's a bunch you know there's a uh, Basically, when the the government essentially put tax credits in for these providers to uh, medical providers to buy medical record systems, uh, you had a ton of them pop up. But now there's you know there's a handful of big EMRs in you know that are dominant in like the big hospital system space. And then as okay, you get so- into the, the subcategories, you'll have you know rehab EMRs. There's probably a half dozen of those that are of merit. And then, you know, a handful of smaller ones and probably, a you know, a handful of little onesie and twosie ones. that, that Now, John, it,
1: as you got into this business, were you building to sell from the beginning? I mean, did you know about these EMRs in the rehab space? And, and did you know that, you know, a couple of years in, th- those guys were going to be interested in buying you?
0: You know, I think that where, where we started we we always believed that we were going to build a technology that uh, we could sell I, i just and i don't i don't think i had at that early stage the understanding of you know that this would be the group we thought that you know we really kind of looked at exiting in tiers like this would be kind of tier one you would exit to a you know one of these emr vendors in in the space tier two you're looking at um you know consolidators people are network builders who are who are going and building other networks and then tier three you're looking at groups above that who are selling services there so there's depending on the scale we saw different exit points this was always an obvious one because you just looked at it and said these medical electronic medical record systems are ugly Um, they're they're in many ways can be difficult to use they're making improvements all the time because now user experience and usability are becoming more and more a part of the sales cycle. Uh, But, you know, really building this type of uh, automation as well as the patient experience, you know, that's that's something that's probably outside of their wheelhouse. So I I could really see the value there. Although we, you know, we just saw it as a valuable entity just in general. So we didn't, I don't want to say we built it initially knowing that we would sell to a medical record system. I think you know within 6 months of being in the marketplace that seemed like an obvious piece and, um but you know we also believe that we there was other potential sales down the line it just depended on how far we wanted to take it
1: okay so back to my initial question which is what was the triggering event that made you go okay i'm going to like now's the time uh well we got we got interest from
0: all three of these groups and we lo- we looked at each other and said hey we got we have three, three medical record systems that are interested in this. We can, but how did you get
1: them interested? I mean, did you trigger it? Like, did you send them a letter? Did you hire a banker? Like, what was the, how did you get three of them no, interested? Definitely not doing that. Um, the way that we did it is we built partnerships with them,
0: right? We had built integrations with them and, you know, really allowed them to see our, see our product as it serviced their customers. And because we were spear hunters, right, we went out for big... Um, you know the the big hairy gorilla type of groups, not the, the massive ones, although we we talked to a number of them, but very you know marquee customers for uh, any of these vendors, and and got them on board with leveraging the system, and and that was really the the shifting point. You know when when one of your most valuable clients comes to you and says, Hey, I want you to integrate with this other provider, it perks your ears up. And yeah,
1: but. Ha- I'm still curious as to as to sort of who made the first move, so you've got these partnerships with these companies did Did they say, "Hey, John, it, you know have you ever thought about selling this thing? I, you know we'd be interested, or did you propose it? how did that work?
0: yeah they, they it was coming from them mostly. there was a and we had luck you know we got lucky. there was another competitor in the space that also sold pretty much right around the same time that we did, and they so I think there was when that event happened we, you know, we saw that, uh, you know, the interest go way up. And so that was a really, a really great benefit to us was, you know, this other company exited. We said, wow, you know, there's, there's interest to do this. And, you know, it makes sense for all of the other reasons outside, you know, just pure financial reasons now to do it.
1: this is such a good point because a lot of company owners, when they see that a, a competitor has been sold, they think, oh, man, I've missed my opportunity. But, but the other side of that coin, of course, is, is that once you know, company A buys that competitor, uh, the competitors of company A are now all of a sudden very interested in a similar company uh, because they don't want their competitor to have a unique strategic advantage over them. So that's, uh, that's a very interesting trigger for you. So you, you've got lots going on in the marketplace. You've got some inbound inquiries. I mean, take it from there. So you had, I think you, you said earlier, you had three uh, kind of expressions of interest. Is that right? Yep. And were those uh, like like phone calls or lunches, did they actually write an expression of interest, like a letter of interest or a letter of, in, you know, a letter of intent or like something, on, something on paper?
0: Yeah. I mean, that, so just to just as these processes go, we were meeting with them fairly regularly, right? Because we're partners, we're doing in integrations and we're, and we're, going through this process. We really liked all the groups that were, that were out there. And it was really more of, um, you know, sorting out all the details. And it's hard to, when, when some of these conversations come up, right? Hey, would you be interested in partnering with us? Yeah. We're, we're doing a partnership. Well, what about an exclusive partnership? Well, to do an exclusive partnership, you really take us off the market. That gets very expensive you know, and then they say, well, you know, would you be open to an acquisition? I said, Yeah, of course, we're always, we're, we're always open to any of these factors. It's really just about the details. So it's an understanding, you know, if someone says they want to buy you, it, it's really kind of taking it as slow as possible on the front end of it. Um, you know, ideally, you're in a position where time is beneficial to you, you know, really where I think you're in a dangerous place is where you're trying to sell it and you're trying to sell it fast. You're just going to take a haircut on everything. But if you, if you truly don't need to sell it um, and you're, and you can be, you can take your time in evaluating what does this deal mean and really get beyond just pure dollars and cents, because that, you know, that's a component, but it's just a component, you know? Uh, And I think that that was, no, go ahead. Sorry.
1: Yeah, so sort of interrupt, but what was the next sort of major milestone in the process? So you've got these three expressions of interest loosely. Mm -hmm. Uh, At what point did they, like, what would you characterize as the next major milestone? I mean, did they firm up into letters, like formal letters of intent, or what was the next sort of big milestone for you? Sure. I mean,
0: I, I think when you're going through this process, there's a lot of questions that get asked. And depending on who's guiding you or who you ask, it, they'll say, don't share this, you can share this, you know, hold this close to your chest. So it's, it, you know, CEOs and executives of companies that want to buy you are going to ask you all those questions straight up, you know, big indicators of, you know, what's your pipeline look like? What's your revenue like? All these factors which are private to your company, right? You have, no, you have no obligation to tell them. So, you know, really when you move into, a letter of intent or you're going, you know, you're going down that LOI process. Up until that point, it's really just sharing what you're willing to share. And sometimes that, um, you know, it, it depends on what you're trying to do. In our case, we, we were, uh, you know, we wanted to be forthright with everybody because we didn't want to get down a path where, um, you know, we said, hey, these paths right now, we got a good thing going we don't want to be messing with our team. We don't, we know how much this is going to mess with the team dynamics as soon as this process starts. And if we start going down the process and we find out, you know, halfway through that it ain't a good fit for whatever reason, I, I don't want to do that. Uh, and I'd rather give a little bit more information to, you know, these executives of whom I've had, I had personal relationships with through our partnerships um, to try and mitigate that fact. So a lot of it was, you know, there's a lot of conversation that happens before, uh, a letter of intent in, in my case and really when that happens usually what you're what you are saying is we're no longer going to solicit the sale of this to anybody else we're going to we're going to work through some details and for a time period of whether it's you know 30 days or 45 days or something like this i'm not speaking to anyone else about selling this because you know we're now working through what the details of this sale looks like how many letters of intent did you get well, because of that, we focused on you know our tactic was essentially let let's give people the critical pieces of information. Let's give them the the real you know PNL kind of what's our 12 p PNL forward and back look like, and give them that, which is really kind of what they would want to get in that in that next phase, anyways. And our kind of our hypothesis in, in doing that, and, and really w- what I was uh you know the suggestion was let's let's talk through this because if there's some opportunity to once they know those numbers those are the numbers that they're going to base all of their their facts and figures and planning off of so if they have those numbers before we actually have to sign anything and officially start dating and sitting down with each other one-on-one um that's beneficial now some people are probably listening to this and screaming that sounds like a terrible idea. Um, but you know, given our relationships and given where we were, and, and the fact that we wanted to sort through multiple deals at once without having to go down uh, a more, um, you know, a more—I uh, don't, I don't know the right word for it—like a uh, a more tight, tight-lipped or tight-knit, you know, where we're just really focusing that path with one person. This is this was really the strategy that we took.
1: Got it. So instead of sort of pursuing. A traditional strategy of of seeking out a letter of intent, you're sharing this data with all of the providers, and and with a view that when you you know if you're if you're more transparent, then you're, you're less likely to go into a rat hole with one of them and, and, and have to sort of put things on hold.
0: Yeah, and high level, right? I didn't send them any documents. We didn't sell it, send Excel sheets, for example, but we just said, hey, this is what this is what the business looks like. This is what it is. This is where it's going. This is this is you know generally how this is all functioning so that people knew now could they see line by line our expenses absolutely not but they generally knew what it was costing us a month to run the business what we were making a month what we had in the you know what we generally had in the pipeline what we what we thought we were looking at you know moving forward uh and just kind of the big blocky numbers and executives know how to extrapolate that out and you know we were comfortable we were comfortable sharing that because you know, all the people that we had spoken to and all the people that we were working with, we had good relationships with and, and really looked at all of them as, you know, potential options.
1: Was there any part of you uh, that was nervous that what you had built was relatively easy to replicate? I mean, for me as an outsider, again, I don't know anything about your business, but, but I'm saying it's a dozen folks They've been in business for two years. It can't have taken them that long to figure it out. It's a slick user interface, but it's not based on some sort of huge big data algorithm. It's it's a really good user interface. So like on one hand, you'd, you'd think these other three, these three providers, these, ER, these uh, electronic medical records people would have said, man, like, yeah, we could buy John. But if he starts asking too much for his company, let's put three really smart ui people in a in a boardroom for 6 months and they can probably replicate whatever he's built was was anything was there any part of you that was having that conversation in the back of your mind
0: yeah that's what everyone says i just don't believe it i mean and you have to think of the organizations that you're working with right and and sure enough i i promised you these you know there was folks who said exactly that like hey you know we could, if we can't really come to great terms, we, you know, this is something that we could build ourselves. And my response to that was, okay, how about it? You
1: know, uh, if could I build a? Why? System? Why were you so confident?
0: Because I know the the intricacies of why this stuff is complicated. You know, it's really easy to make a system that just says, you know, here's some tasks, check them off, and we we put a little, uh you know, a chart on your progress. It's it's really easy to do this. I mean, I could probably go and build a, a system at a at a reasonable level in a month where it would do something that, you know, from a check the box perspective or someone who is, you know, just looking at interfaces, it would work. But there's a lot of stuff that's going on under the hood that makes it valuable. You know, the way that we the way that we're managing the data, the way that we're, you know, serializing events in our system, what we're doing to prepare for, um, you know larger data analysis or art- you know machine learning or any of these other pieces we knew that there was a lot of other stuff going on below deck that was that was driving these um, you know was driving this pretty application interface and I think that even a pretty application interface it's it's hard to do, and you know if they were going to do it, they probably would have already done it so you know i I didn't feel tremendously um I didn't feel really nervous about that with the folks that we were talking about. Now, if I was being acquired by Google or Facebook or someone like that, which has, you know, unlimited development resources, uh, then, you know, then I would be concerned. But in this situation, you're really looking at we got a great technology. They really want the team. Um, so it's just as much product plus team. So in those real hire scenarios, well, if they had the team, why are they interested in, in us to do that? Because and you know the answer becomes, well, it's a proven product with a with a marketable customer base who um, who has a team in place who can who can continue to execute on it and so when you really look at all the factors that surround something that's successful like this, it's not like you can just throw three UI guys in the room and and get to there um so that that was my my thought on it.
1: Got it. So you, you get, obviously, a letter of intent from clinician, the ultimate acquirer. Uh, mm-hmm. What was your reaction when you, when you first saw the LOI? Um, well,
0: we had gone back and forth. There, so there's a lot of like pre-LOI. There's, there's a lot of negotiation in these processes, as you can imagine. So there's a lot of work that you do pre-LOI to say, hey, if the LOI, the LOI needs to look like this when I get it, otherwise we're not interested. Um, and, you know, same sort of thing happens when once you see it, you kind of go back and forth on it before you sign it. We had really great legal counsel. I, I you know, uh, they they came out and did really great work for us. And one of the things that they said is, you know, John, in the LOI process. So once you get this letter of intent now is actually you want to negotiate all of the, so much of the deal points at this stage So really flesh out a lot of stuff before you even sign this letter of intent um to to basically protect down the line when you when you show them everything as part of the deal you at least have some of these provisions uh in place to protect you and that was interesting i i wouldn't have guessed you know had i not had great counsel on that i don't think i would have guessed that i think i would you know it's probably pretty easy to get excited hey we got a letter of intent let's sign this and jump into the diligence process but we negotiated for 6 weeks i want to say on um Maybe four weeks, four to six weeks on just that letter of intent piece, which which which, yeah. which is tough to do. <laughs> you know, you don't want to do that. It feels you want to do it, but you know, it's tough to tough to go through that process.
1: It's funny you, you mentioned uh, earlier in the conversation something like you know I, I didn't know if I wanted to start you know formalizing uh, and start dating with the company by signing a letter of intent. And my reaction when I heard you say that was, oh man, like a letter of intent is. You know, you're walking down the aisle. The, 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 the you know, the, the groom is standing there. The bride is coming down in her father's arm. I mean, by the time you sign a letter of intent, the deal should be very close uh, to done. Certainly not uh, so many open doors for them to kind of squeeze out of on the back end. So I think I think you got some great counsel there for sure. Yeah. So I, going, I think, Go ahead. I think I think that that process, you know. Everything, it, it all
0: matters. What's on paper is really where it matters, where you spend all your time negotiating these things. Like if you really think of, it's like a handful of sentences that you spend weeks and weeks going over and they matter a lot. Um, and so you're right, you know, when you're first talking about the deal strategy and everything before the letter of intent, there's a lot of meetings that go into that. You know, you're, you're talking probably uh, two, three months of meetings, no problem on that front. And then, you know, you're thinking another six weeks once you actually get this letter of intent before you sign it, and then you start your diligence process. So, I mean, and, and that two or three months leading up to it may be more like six months or a year, you know, depending on the relationships with these partners. You know, a lot of people talk about this stuff for a long time. It takes a big company, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of conversations to get behind making a move like this. So, you know, these processes for an entrepreneur who's used to doing everything here and now, bang, 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 you know, every day feels brand new almost. Um, You mentioned these these things can feel like they're forever.
1: Yeah. You mentioned there were a few sentences that, that, you know, a letter of intent or the negotiation points, the deal points can come down to just a few sentences. In your case, what were the sentences?
0: Gosh, I wish I could. I wish I had my little legal hat on right now because it's, um,
1: there's a handful of clauses
0: that folks can gosh i wish i I wish I had this handy i I feel terrible for your listeners now because there is like a handful of items, and I'm just a, a little now just a little removed where I'm not going to get the legalese correct um but it's essentially in it, it's it's looking at part of it is really looking at what they can come back for later, so when there's some sort of claim or injunction against the company how much of that how much of the deal are you putting up to for injunctive relief if say you get sued by one of your clients or partners and then the yeah, different I I, the different buckets that fall into that is really you know that was a big piece
1: i think you're referring to reps and warranties does that sound familiar
0: yep that's that's right so so basically as, as you're looking at what's falling into fundamental reps what's falling, falling into normal reps and and what are the how much is at stake in each of those and what types of reps fall into something, which is fundamental reps, which, you know, uh, usually have a much larger percentage or portion of the deal that are now open for, um, you know, this relief coming down the line if you breach them. And that's, you know, there's a lot of positioning as to what is going to end up where and, you know, what's the, what is the methodology for making payments out and what are the totals for each one of these kind of categories and, um, you know, are, are there caps on it? How do, how, what's the actual function of how this works? And that's, that gets really technical. And as a, as someone who's not, uh, you know, a business lawyer, <laughs> you, you hear that stuff or, or you read those sentences and these are long, usually fairly long documents. I mean, I, I think our actual sale, um, contract is something like, you know, 50, 60 pages. So, you can imagine being someone in in a position of operating company trying to read a sixty page document and knowing inside of it there's like i don't know six to twelve sentences that really, really matter um and and that's that's why you spend so much money on legal counsel you
1: know <laughs> absolutely so let's imagine you and I are having a beer in Austin we're out whatever, South, uh, Southwest, is that what it's called? It and we're, uh, we're chatting away. And I tell you, look, I'm, I'm thinking of selling my company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say to you, what advice would you give me, John? What well, tell me. Uh, you and I are best friends. Sure. How much, do you like, how much do you
0: like what you're doing day to day? I mean, that's a big piece of it, right? And Who are you selling it to? What's what's the what's the reason behind it? It's way different if you're selling something where you're like, this is a sale where I'm never going to work again. Right. Like that's the different case where you're like, there's I'm going to make so much money off of this. I'm never I'm not going to work again and my children are going to be totally fine after this. That I think is a different case because there's there's more that goes into it. If you do think you're going to continue working, and particularly if you're going to continue working at the organization, then there's a lot more about you know the um, about your vision. Is this going to be aligned with the vision? Is this still going down the path? Is this helping you through that pathway to really reaching your goal um, for the product or technology? And if your goal is just to make money and and get out, then There's not really a whole lot to it, but if you're really looking at something that you really want to have an impact and a very specific impact, then you know your relationships with the acquirer, what it looks like for you uh, as far as a control perspective moving forward, and you know just being real that a lot of these things sound really good and can go really really badly um, once you're actually in it. We're lucky that we really put a lot of weight in the folks that, and we had great relationships with the folks here at uh, Clinicians, lead their leadership, lead their vision, wanted to help drive that vision forward, and saw our system as a really way to take that to the next level. So for us, it was checking all the boxes. It was a financial win. It was a win from a vision perspective. It was a win from a lifestyle and personnel perspective. And everyone was excited about it. Um, That's not always the case.
1: How would you have answered that question if I posed it to you?
0: When I would say, so, so, can you pose it to me just so that I, I have the question in my yeah, head? So, then, yeah. So,
1: so you want to, you know, you're thinking of of selling your business. I mean, mm-hmm. what do you, I think I think was something to the effect of, you know, how, how big a sale is this? Is this a life changing, never work again sale, or is this? Do you want to go on and work for the company that acquires you? How would you have answered it if I posed it to you that way?
0: Sure, I'm not the kind of guy who I believe will ever not want to work. <laughs> There's something about I think building this stuff is fun. I think technology is interesting. I want to do this stuff for the rest of my life um and you know when I looked at this at this opportunity, it was we were make we were in a big transition point and we were we had money to to make it. We could have gone and and built out the sales and marketing team. But the, the organization fundamentally changes. And the, the question I was asked myself at that time is, do you want to run this type of org? You've really enjoyed running this type of organization up to this point. Now that you're making this shift, do you really want to run this different type of organization? And, you know, the the answer there was, I don't know. And if, if other people can come in and show pathways that are that are inspiring interesting illuminating help you reach all those goals right i said personal you know vision finance you know whatever financial if all those boxes are checked and you you continue to do the aspects of this business that you really enjoy and your team is is well taken care of and everybody's happy to to do this i mean we sit as a essentially a semi-autonomous uh, organization still where we we're resetting our roadmap and we're we're you know running it in many ways like it's, still our business um, just with a lot more insight and support from a larger organization so to me it's a big win I really like I really liked it um, you know could you always hold out for more money yeah do I think we could have made more money if we had uh, that had just kind of driven down the sales and marketing pipeline for sure but you know did I want to do that was really the kind of question and and did I want to continue to put investor money at risk for what I didn't know, you know, I couldn't really see a much, much, much greater return from this over that next eighteen months. So I felt, I felt really strongly about where we were sitting and and what we're doing for our team, and uh, and it's proven thus far to be it's been a really good decision to make.
1: Did you at least indulge yourself and buy a trophy of the of the sale? Did you go out and buy a fancy car or take a fancy trip? No. Let no, us live vicariously I, through you.
0: <laughs> you do you you know, you think that like. And I thought that too, because I, you know, I was a young guy building technology, and so you always think like the moment you sell this, it's gonna be like, uh, you know, this crazy feeling, Um, and it was like it felt really good. It was a very emotional event because you put so much time, energy, and effort into something like this, and to have it go positively and have everyone feel good about it, that's awesome. You know, that's it's a rarity. People know how rare it is. They know what it is to accomplish it. But the night we actually, so for us, it was it was also a little different because we had effectively agreed upon the deal, but we're still hadn't signed it But when we announced it officially to my team and announced it officially to their team. So everyone got to party kind of except me because I knew, you know, we still got to make sure all the I's and get down and the T's get crossed. That's a little different than how it normally works. But we had, like I said, a great relationship with these folks. When I actually finally signed it, I just had a little burger at home and, you know, drank a glass of wine. and was like, wow, that's, that just happened. You know, it was uh it was uh, it emotionally, internally felt really, really good. But you know, I like my life. I like what I'm doing. I like uh, this. Was never about big cars or you know, fancy cars or big houses or anything like that. It was how can we build something that we're proud of, that we would want to, that is going to make a real impact. And you know, I, I'm in a great, I'm in the best position I've ever been in financially. It definitely feels great to be in that situation, but. That was never. That was just, uh, you know, resu- I it, was. It was not the aim. It was kind of just the result of reaching the goal.
1: Well, congratulations on doing it. Where, where is the best people, place for people to reach out to you? Is there anything that you want, uh, you know, them to go do? Can they go to a website or reach out to you on LinkedIn? Like, what's the best way if people want to say hi to do that?
0: I, I'm happy to talk to anyone through these processes. I mean, it was definitely a. Um, it was, an, it was interesting to go through this. I'm really, I I wound up in a place that I feel happy with. So I'm happy uh, to to talk with folks about this. I'm pretty low social media. So uh, the best place is probably LinkedIn or just my direct email. I don't, I don't know if I probably should give that out, but if people reach out to me on LinkedIn, then, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm responding to that. I'm happy to uh, connect with folks and talk through this stuff. I mean, it's, if you're in a situation like I am, you know, having a little bit of insight and I, and I had a lot of good insight from a lot of good people around me, you know, I'm really happy with, with the team and, and everybody else who is supporting us without them, I could have done it. So um, yeah, I'm happy to help in ways that I can for people who are in the community and interested in, you know, doing these types of things.
1: Awesome guys. We'll put that in the show notes at uh, built Jonathan Reed, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. I I really enjoyed this. Uh, Hopefully, it was helpful. You know, it's uh,
0: uh, it it is it's something that I enjoyed sharing, and and I hope uh, all your listeners find the success that they're looking for in their businesses as well.